Welcome to Security Confidential by Dark Rhino Security, where we get together and talk about all things information security. Hey, Tyler, how you doing? I'm doing good, Manoj. How are you today? Hey, real good, real good. It's partially sunny outside, uh, locked at home. Can't complain. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty sunny here too, but uh, yeah, I would uh, kill to be able to go outside and do something. Likewise. So, uh, in given the fact that we're se- severely limited in our movements, uh, you know, we're gonna. We thought we would chat a little bit about working remotely. That seems to be the topic of the last several weeks, as uh, for obvious reasons, everyone is uh, working from home. That's correct. Uh, it's been surreal to say the least. Yeah, uh, you know, there's been an exponential rise, and and I'll go on uh, public record as saying that with a lot of people working from home. I see a percentage of them not coming back to the office. So there's going to be a shift in the way in which work gets done that will be everlasting uh, from this whole coronavirus episode, if you will. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, never going to go. You can't put this back in the bottle. It's it won't go. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Um, in fact, uh, you know, there was an article I was reading. I forget which. Uh, magazine or uh, online publication had it but zoom has gone somewhere from 10 million meetings a week or a day it was some to 400 million a week or a day and i don't remember whether it was for the day or the week but either in either case it's a huge jump yeah it was uh, i think it was said it was 200 million users uh daily uh was the one that i read which is, I think it was at 10 million prior to that. So it's it's pretty impressive. It is. And they seem to have attracted themselves into the spotlight. I, I mean, we know of Zoom's been around for a long time, as has been the likes of GoToMeeting, as has been High Five and a bunch of Skype. I mean, there's a bunch of video conferencing systems, uh, including Microsoft Teams that are available to people out there. But Zoom has kind of become a de facto, if you will, standard for lack of a better word uh that people have been using and they've attracted a lot of spotlight because of a bunch of security issues that have come to light recently quite a few and um it's it's kind of funny that no one was really paying attention because these aren't really new concerns they're just they've been brought to the forefront by all of this. Yeah, I, I mean, you think you're exactly right. Zoom's been around for a long time. People have been using it. No one's paid attention and it works well. I mean, it's simple. You create a, a meeting and you dial in and away you go, right? Right, exactly. And and really, I think this highlights a, there, there's a larger lesson that everybody can learn from this. And that is, this is the nature of security. It's not a new thing that's been wrong with Zoom. It's just we didn't know about it. And that is one of the things to me that is intriguing and terrifying about security. You cannot know what you don't know. And this is a great example of that uh, all around. It's These have been issues with the, the product for... I'm guessing a long time since its inception, potentially, and 
they, you know, convenience ruled out. And now when people are, you know, necessities replacing convenience and people are starting to take a closer look and say, what are we doing here? Uh, only now has it come to the forefront that this is a problem. You know, uh, Zoom, in fact, uh, recently I uh, they published that they can't do end-to-end encryption the way the platform is architected today. They can't. WhatsApp can do it. Uh, Apple has implemented it into their messaging apps, but Zoom cannot implement end-to-end encryption. And this has been there forever, as you are saying. And uh, now that it's become necessity, it's become evident. Right. Yeah. You can't, nobody can ignore it anymore. And that's the, I think uh, one of the things that really put it on my radar was I think it was the New York City schools or state school, uh, you know, they one or the other, they, they said you're not allowed to use Zoom because of the security, which that really I was taken aback by. Yeah, they did that. And you know who else did that? Elon Musk did that. SpaceX has banned the use of Zoom. And, and Zoom's got at least two class action lawsuits against it right now. And just today... Their shareholder, one of their shareholders has filed a case in federal court against them for security issues. Yeah, that's that's pretty huge. But it, it, the, the, the thing is, again, I, I wouldn't say that any one of the issues that I'm aware of about Zoom, okay, is the type of thing that would take a Herculean effort to remedy. Um. Now that's me, you know. I'm definitely armchair quarterbacking it here, but the the thing is, is there's all these little things that add up to be big problems. And one of the things that you had shared an article with me, and and I was reading about these people. Uh, I can't remember the the term that they use for it, but basically just people joining Zoom meetings at random oh yeah zoom bombing they call it zoom bombing zoom bombing that's what it's called yeah i knew it was something over the top but uh yeah and and i mean if you think about it it's it's kind of funny because if you if you don't take the time to set up those security uh measures for the zoom meetings and then and then really you know pay attention to uh, applying them like who you let into the room or who you give to the password to you you could potentially have any kind of person join the meeting and, and not know who's on your your phone call and everyone loves the convenience of not doing that because you know by default now what zoom has done is that they have set it to where you have to have a password by default and you can they have uh, you can certainly enable the functionality to allow people into a meeting in spite of them having a password but you can turn all those things off permanently yeah yeah and 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 what do people do when it comes to security if there's anything that's inconvenient that gets hucked right out the window exactly and i'll use the example of our own company at dark rhino uh, we have a mixed bag of video conferencing apps. We use Zoom for some of the customer service people, and we use High Five pretty much as the de facto standard for everybody else. 
but one of the biggest complaints we get with High Five is it doesn't work. And <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. It, it's unreliable. But what's really going on is that as a security company, we have federated to the high five environment. Um, so if you don't log in through single sign-on, you can't get at it. And if you don't log in through single sign-on and you don't have the apps configured, whether it be on your iPhone, iPad, or on your laptop, then you can't get to the screens that allow you to add people as they are dialing in. And that's all done by design so that we know who is attending the meeting, when they're coming in, uh, and when they have left. Uh, on the, and yes, you know, a lot of people in our company travel or used to travel, I should say, and, and it was always convenient to have it where you just one click start a conference and away you go, which is something you can do in the Zoom world by disabling a lot of those security features. But then you open yourself up to all kinds of uh, problematic situations that people are finding out the hard way. And I mean, and I I have to say that I was among the people that was like, I, I, I couldn't get it to work. And I think part of it is, is just educating end users on how they're supposed to use the product. I mean, it doesn't have to be a laborious effort, but I just... I, my problem was I came at it like it was it was a Zoom, you know, uh, type thing, and I just expected to click it and it to work, and that was not the case. <laughs> so um, I'm guilty just like anybody else. Even though you know I'm I'm a security professional, we still, you know, we're human beings too, and convenience is well convenient. Convenience is convenient. Convenience takes a front seat to security. It's uh, unfortunately the uh, the way things are. Uh, and now you're seeing reports of people getting Zoom bombed where unknown people are entering the meetings and they're displaying, in some cases, illicit materials to everybody else that's on the call. They're wreaking havoc on some of these phone calls. So anyone that's going to Zoom, uh, I guess the advice would be is to... At a minimal, make sure that you have turned on meeting passwords and you have patch systems and you enable the uh, ability to add or disapprove people from joining the meeting. And I realize that what I just said there is going to be massively inconvenient from uh, <laughs> the way people are used to using it. But if not, then caveat emptor. Yep. Yep, exactly. And and that's the thing. I mean, there's there's a number of great articles that are out there that are fairly technical. Um, um, one of the ones that I really love, I will put into the uh, the show comments uh, so you can read it. But um, it's uh, done by a security research, researcher um, named Bruce. And I believe his last name, and I totally apologize if I'm butchering this, but I think it is Schneier. Um, probably screwed that up, but uh, Bruce he he puts together articles that I really love because it, it breaks it down and hits all of the the big problems with this. And and you know one of the ones that's really scary is there there's a problem. For, first of all, there's problems with with Zoom 
that they say that they're doing AES-256 encryption, but they're actually only doing, when when a, a company researched it, they found out that they were actually only doing uh, AES-128 in uh, ECB mode. And ECB mode is an electronic codebook, um, and it's, it's basically a block cipher, and it's not very secure. A- anyways, it's what I'm getting at is it's a long way from 256. If you say you're doing 256 and you're not doing 256, that in and of itself is a problem. Well, Zoom also uh, was routing calls to a couple servers in China that were whitelisted. Yeah, yeah, they were. I think that was the same company that found that. Citizen Lab, I think, is the name of the company that found that stuff. It, it is very interesting, especially given all the things going on with China and what we know about intellectual property theft and, and efforts around stealing companies' intellectual property uh, and how that's tied to the Chinese government. I mean, another thing that uh, he cited in his article was talking about... Uh, um, a vulnerability that was discovered, and, and I believe this was dis- uh, like April 1st or something this was disclosed. I'm not really sure on that one. I, I haven't done any deeper research, but apparently there is a way for an attacker to send you use a chat window <laughs> to send someone a string of text, and if they click on it, uh, it dumps a whole bunch of their NTLM hashes and, and information uh, to the uh, address that's in the link, and that is that is because of flaws in how uh, Zoom interfaces with the uh, browser, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, well, you know, one thing, Tyler, I will say in all of this is I, I have to give credit to their CEO. Uh, he's at least come out on public record and has very much said and admitted there are security flaws, and his guidance was the system was designed to enable rapid collaboration. Security wasn't at the top of mind when they, I'm paraphrasing, but that essentially is what he stated. And there's, you know, a lot of times you see CEOs get out there when their companies are caught in a difficult situation and and they're not completely truthful, but it seems like Zoom is taking some responsibility for it and they're frozen future feature development to work on the security gaps that they have. So while uh, the current situation is not ideal, I think in the long run, they'll probably come out of this a much stronger company. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's, that's the thing is if, if he's taking it head on, which he, he is, I mean, it's, uh, they're, they'll fix, they'll fix these issues. It's like I said, is, First of all, n- nobody knows what they don't know, and now that they know this is the case, um, there's only there's only some other issues which it looks like they're fixing, and those kind of revolve around privacy. And I think those were the major issues cited by the school system um, in New York that said we're not we're not allowing anyone to use Zoom because of privacy concerns. Well, uh, SpaceX has got sensitive information, right? And they they just don't want they don't feel it's a reliable system to do that. I know a lot of companies right now, uh, I heard uh, Sephora, the cosmetics retailer, they let 3,000 people go. 
and uh, they did it over a conference call now I don't know if that was a zoom meeting or not personally but if you are having sensitive discussions with employees first of all I hope you're not having them but if unfortunately you have to have them you might want to absolutely consider um, the privacy issues that go with that and uh, be sensitive to it and and um, be cognizant before discussing them in a, in a public uh, conferencing application, if you will. Yeah, exactly. And, and the other thing that I would say is almost all of these companies have guidance on how to apply security as effectively as possible. <clears throat> and I would say go, go to the whatever you're using, and if you can't find it, ask their support to direct you to it so that you can ensure that you're applying all the security measures that are appropriate um, because if you if you just use and again I hate I don't want to pick beat up zoom because you know they're just the the most relevant example of the hour but if you if you look at zoom if you look at what they they did um, if someone had applied proper security, most of these things would not have been an issue. Um, most of the more serious things and the, uh, surrounding unauthorized people joining the meetings and, and that sort of thing. Um, the problem is, is most people use Zoom the same way I use Zoom, which is I need to talk to these people right now. <laughs> I'm going to click the link and send it to these people. Um, and, and you know, in, in that instance, it's one of those things where in the in the military we have you know this saying where speed can be your security. If you're moving quickly over open ground, you know, the the enemy per se doesn't have time to adjust and attack you. Um, whereas other times you'd use stealth. So if you're just throwing up a tactical meeting real fast, speed can can potentially be your security. But if you're planning a meeting where you're going to divulge secrets or something like that, it's probably a good idea to take all the security measures recommended by the vendor and apply all of them for that meeting. You know, and this just serves as a segue into the second part of this, Tyler, which gets into remote work and what companies are doing beyond the world of Zoom, right? There's a lot of security firms that have been researching this and uh, what I, where we're about to go next uh, is an area where you can probably find a statistic to match whatever point of view you have. But I will preface this conversation, the start of this conversation by saying that yet again, what you were describing earlier as basic uh, hygiene type measures that should be taken also applies to the other technologies that people are using when they are doing remote work. And the one that first comes to mind is RDP. So here's what I have seen and read recently in our industry rags in the world of cybersecurity, that basically for an average cost of $6 a credential, for, for an RDP credential, you have available to you 7,216 credentials in China, 6,143 credentials in Brazil, 3,062 in India, 1,335 in Spain. And I won't read the list, but every country 
out there. You can basically buy these credentials and they are the gateway to lateral movement inside a company's network. And a lot of times people are compromising these networks and they are sitting silent for several weeks, several months until they are ready to launch their malware attack, which is usually typically ransomware and they get hit hard. Um, and what we have seen, uh, again, this, there was one statistic out there that 40, there's a 41.5% increase in the number of devices exposing RDP to the internet and uh, via port TCP 3389, which is the standard RDP port. Port, and there's a 36.8% increase in the non-standard port of 3388 uh, to enable RDP. You know, sometimes it's really, it, it is necessary, but if you're not doing any kind of IP filtering for uh, the source of that RDP connection, um, then you're asking, you're, you're basically saying, I'm betting there isn't anybody out there who can get in here rather than making the much safer bet of I'm betting the guy at this IP address specifically and this only IP ad- only this IP address is going to uh, uh, be okay once they authenticate to this system. Um, and that's really where it's... RDP is a very weak excuse, uh, uh, or not excuse, substitute, rather, for something more appropriate like VPN. Um, You can really lock VPN access down a lot tighter than you can RDP access, especially given the fact that a lot of systems that we're talking about with RDP access are going to be things like servers, uh, whether they be application or web servers. Very rarely is it going to be I have to have RDP open so I can get to my desktop at work because most users now are using laptops if they need them, so they're just going to take that home. So that's kind of the scary thing about RDP is a lot of these RDP connections that are popping up are people who were working in an office and said, oh, geez, uh, I got to open this up so I can do my work from home because I can't leave my house because of this whole COVID crisis. Um and that's where a lot of it's coming from but the vulnerabilities that traditionally have popped up if you go and look at vulnerabilities tied to rdp i i don't know off the top of my head but i'm guessing that there's quite a few of them yeah uh you know like one thing is um you read about is a lot of the folks who have enabled rdp uh in haste have typically set these encryption settings to client compatible which is a very weak encryption right and that allows for the easier decryption of sensitive information uh, potentially people haven't enabled network or haven't implemented network level authentication via rdp and and yeah and and what's funny is this isn't this is nothing new. I mean, the the FBI has been warning people. I think it was like 2018. The FBI sent out a warning, which was it's 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 not a common thing for them to, you know, specifically name something unless it is very serious. They don't. They're not flipping about it. But the FBI came out and in 2018, and they were, they were like, "Hey, uh, you guys should really watch out." Um, 
hackers are increasingly abusing RDP, I think is what they said. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a very easy way in, right? It is. It is. And and that's the thing is, a lot, like you said, a lot of these people were were under the under the gun and um because of that they they set this thing up they didn't block stuff appropriately and as a result of that they're now you know sitting there wide open i mean it's literally it's like leaving a screen door unlocked in in some cases it it very much is and you know the advice there would be at the minimal enable network level authentication people <laughs> make that a priority right and, and and use strong encryption if you're going to use RDP but even there uh, there are instances where you need it as you were saying uh, but your suggestion was to go to potentially something much more secure with VPN absolutely there's no question that uh, RDP is a very poor substitute for a solid VPN that's backed up by solid uh, rules and authentication um, and those rules being in place to, to determine who can access these devices. Now I'm not saying that RDP is bad because once you VPN your, your VPN connection is established then RDP that is controlled in, in behind a firewall rule that's filtering out what users can access said devices now it's it's much less risky you you've authenticated the user they have a session in place you know that they are are now internally on your network because they're connected via vpn and you can monitor everything that they're doing whereas when i just have a direct vpn connection unless you have appropriate measures on that that device, whatever it is, a server or an endpoint that that are telling you what's going on, and then you have someone monitoring those through a SIM, um, you're pretty much in the dark about what's happening. Well, and I'm going to underline one other word. So first you said SIM. A lot of the smaller companies that have RDP or are even using VPN can't afford to implement a SIM, and if you don't have one already, you're not going to do it inside of a week, right? It's not going to happen. So uh, the there was a word you said, strong VPN, and I think that's really critical. It just can't be VPN. Um, it has to be a very strong Im- implementation of VPN. Uh, you might have heard that uh, Genomics had one terabyte of data stolen in spite of having uh, VPN installed and they got they got taken for a ride and uh, the NSA in 2019 warned organizations to patch Pulse Secure Fortinet and Palo Alto VPN this is the National Security Agency now again what are they advising basic things just like we were we've been talking about a lot of basic things security hygiene patch your damn systems. It just seems like companies have a hard problem with this. I don't know what it is, but they vacillate on this concept uh, for a lot uh, of time and then they get hit. Well, I think a lot of it comes back to uh, this mindset within companies that I've seen where nobody wants to do anything 
that could potentially break something. This this uh, ubiquitous, in air quotes, uh, something. Something gets broken. Oh, well, I don't want to patch whatever because it'll break something. And then I'll get in trouble. I mean, it, it, and honestly, traditionally, that's how people were were being rewarded with their efforts to try and keep things up to date and working is when you break something while you were trying to make it, you know, make sure that it was patched and, and available, um, that would oftentimes be become a career-limiting move. And many people I know and have had to work with are very, very risk-averse from a job perspective. And that, I think, makes people drag their feet like crazy about doing simple things that they know they ought to be doing. Well, why wasn't this ever patched? Well, because, you know, I, we wanted it to work. We didn't want to break anything. And when you look at some of these VPN concentrators, I mean, I know there's, there's a company out there, and I won't say who, but there's a company that's using a VPN concentrator that's, you know, getting close to retirement age if it was a human being. I mean, like, it's, it, you know, it's not that bad, but it's... But it was it was it was technology from the mid '90s. I mean, you know, and uh, you know, and of course that technology spanned a, a solid decade, and they bought it towards the end of that decade. But nevertheless, I mean, the first iteration of this technology is, you know, in its 40s, and this company is still using it. Um, and uh, um. It, it was it didn't start out life as VPN, but it morphed into that and, and it's a VPN concentrator is what it became. But the technology that they have is is I mean they, they installed it tw- every bit of 20 years ago. It, it's it's that kind of stuff that that is out there on people's networks that uh, you know and, and smaller companies don't have these kinds of problems, but when it comes to having a VPN, You've got to maintain it. It's just like any other security tool. Just like with Zoom, we didn't know Zoom had all these issues. And now that we do, everybody's very cautious about it. And people are saying, oh, we don't want to use that because it's not safe. While you're saying that, be aware you may be standing uh, within, within an organization that has issues that make Zoom's problems look like a joke. Um, right under your nose it's just nobody's taking the time to you know pop the hood as it were and take a look and um, if you're if you're trying to do work from home you're trying to do remote work it's not that difficult there are a lot of solutions that'll fit just about any budget Um, there's even free solutions that are out there if you're engineering savvy uh, permits you entry to the dance you can get a free VPN solution but you have to know how to set it up maintain it integrate it with your systems and control it and keep it up to date and that for a small business may be difficult 
And you know, one, one thing that's also happened here, you know, even with larger companies, they should really consider looking at the cloud as a great way to mitigate some of these security issues. And, and I'll give you an example. So typically when you're going and connecting offices, it's typically site to site, you know, and, and you can have whitelisted IP addresses that allow you to connect from site to site. But now when people are working from home and working remotely, those IPs are typically dynamic, right? I mean, Comcast, AT&T, Verizon for the home user, home users don't have a static IP typically. So you really have to have some kind of an authentication portal that validates those users. And that's where, you know, it might sound self-serving, uh, but technologies like Okta come into play, where you can have multi-factor single sign-on in a total cloud-based environment, and you can ensure that the person accessing that network is in fact that person and not somebody else. There's the bar for entry. <laughs> it's just which one do you want to uh, pay for? Well, you know, here's the thing though. Uh, right now, uh, if you are a 25 person or less organization, we can get you into Okta for free. If you are a larger organization, we can get you into Okta for the next six months for free, right? So if, if there was a time when people are considering of movement to a cloud strategy, single sign-on MFA, is a great way to begin that. The thing with companies that are smaller, you know, if if you not to not to beat clichés to death, but you know, what's the what's the strength of being smaller? You're more nimble, right? That's the old adage. And if you're you're smaller, you're more nimble. You can make these adjustments pretty darn quickly. And one of the things I've been impressed with is Given this whole, you know, coronavirus and and COVID, you know, I guess destruction of the norm, these larger companies are pivoting like they are, you know, mom and pop shops. I mean, it's it's been pretty crazy to watch companies go, yeah, we're going to change to everybody doing this and they're multinational corporations um it's been pretty impressive the thing that smaller companies moving any company moving to the cloud they have to realize is you still have some work to do on the security side of things you will need to take care of the same basic security items the difference is, is you don't have to worry about feeding and caring for the infrastructure itself in the same way. You're still going to have to configure your networking. You're still going to have to configure your firewalls. You're still going to have to uh, keep up with your authentication, uh, you know, and who has access to what, when, how, why. And because there's numerous examples out there of companies that fail to do that, and they realize, oh gosh, we've left a you know an entire S3 bucket just bare to the world. Um, and many times you hear about that, it's because there's a security researcher who who found that and disclosed it um, 
you know, responsibly. What really is scary is how many times have the bad guys found those things and they're not they're not disclosing it to anybody. They're just taking the data and selling it. So um, that's why it really is there is a a reason that companies exist in the security space and that is you know if you're in a smaller company and you need help with this stuff find find shop around find a partner you can trust and and let them guide you through this uh, obviously we would love to help you with that but uh, you know I understand it's not always going to be the possible we'd love it but not always possible but definitely whoever you go with get get some help get it figured out make sure you're doing it right um and, and that way you only have to do it once that's very sage advice and on that note i think this it's been a good uh, conversation and i hope our listeners find some bits of wisdom and you know it's about the basic blocking and tackling still patching making sure you are observing good security hygiene, using common sense. And if you continue to do so, you will fare quite well. Thank you for joining me, Manoj. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to today's podcast. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, we're going to include the some of those articles we were talking about in the show notes. So please check those out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast, and we will see you all next time. Thank you. 